podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On inside edge, surely, yes, that's it. The 100 for Sheho. What a moment for a young player. Quite magnificent. The calmness, the coolness. There's a job to do, yeah, but you have to say all day, all game. He's played with so much control. And how his teammates appreciate it. None of the people in Westerners dressing room or Shea Hope himself will have any idea of the history he's made there. The first batsman ever in 534 first-class matches at Headingley to score two hundreds in the same game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 49 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, and you know who's with me. Yep, Santoki back again, and Mash, this is an episode of mixed emotions for me. As a West Indies fan, we have a player who's produced outstanding performances across all formats. But as you know, CPL is here, and the same player we've got on single-handedly, literally single-handedly, stopped Guyana Amazon Warriors winning the title in 2019 when he stumped Brandon King. So we've had good times and bad times, but Mash, the people can see him on the screen if you want to introduce him. Indeed. Um, our guest today, so if again, as I always say, if you're watching on the visuals, you are you already know who it is and you're already excited. If you're listening on the audios, we have got, if I had to do a straw poll of current cricketers that everybody has been begging us to get on the show, Shea Hope would be number one. And we have him on the show today. Finally, all of those all of those um, followers of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast who are always asking us questions about Shea Hope. Today is your day. Today, you finally get everything covered that you ever wanted covered with regards to Shea Hope. But let me hand over to the great man himself. Shea, how are you doing? I'm great, man. It's a pleasure to be here. As you say, it's been a while, so just happy to be on the podcast. Excellent. And um, of course, at the time of recording, for those who are listening, CPL is obviously underway and we've got three different teams being repped in this episode today. Obviously, I'm representing the Talawas, Santoki, uh, the Amazon Warriors, and of course, Shea plays for the Barbados Royals. Unfortunately for my um, the, for the other two on the show today, we know who's going to win this. It's going to be the Talawas, but you know, I'll be nice to them <laughs> as we go as we go through this particular episode and, and whatnot. But um, <laughs> Santoki, do you want to kick off proceedings? Yeah, so let's get into it where we ask all our guests, Shay, growing up, how did you get into cricket? And at what age did you think, okay, this is something I can make a career of? Uh, well, firstly, I guess a lot of it had to play with uh, part of my brother and my, my father. Um, I saw them playing cricket when I was a little boy and I was like, what's this? What are you guys doing? So I always wanted to, to know what's going on. I was always interested from a young age. Um, it got to the point where because my father, he's a joiner. So basically anything with wood, he's, he's good. So he actually made a small bat for me when I was young. And he threw a couple of balls at me. And, and I hit them pretty well in his eyes. Because I don't know. I can't remember back in the day. I have to go by his words. And he said, oh, this, this guy looks if you can you know, do something in the future. So it was always a case where I always loved the game. So from a young age, he just continued to encourage me. Um, as I said, he would throw balls at me. And just something that. From a young age, I really, really enjoyed and was very interested in. And again, as I said, my brother, who's also another professional cricketer, um, again, another big 
inspiration for me. So it's just nice to see how they they enjoy the game and basically instill that on, onto me growing up. Shay, um, obviously hailing from Barbados, um, the one thing that is clear about all Barbadian cricketers is the club system in Barbados is so entrenched. <laughs> the school system in terms of cricket is so entrenched. Um, I'm, it's not about pitting islands against islands, but I think when we look at the Caribbean islands, certainly the the, the first class system is seen as the best in Barbados. If you're gonna if you're gonna really be exposed to cricket, so we had Carl Mayers on uh, last episode. Just talk to us about the club you were part of and your experiences growing up through school before you came over to the UK. Obviously, your experiences growing up through um, school cricket, club cricket, etc. Well, actually, the club I play for now is Pickwick Cricket Club, but. Mm. Growing up, I was part of the Wanderers Cricket Club um, junior program. So, um, you know, it's been a bit of a both worlds, uh, best of both worlds, as you say. Now, I remember a tour to England with the same Wanderers Cricket um, Club. Mm. Uh, as I said, it's, it's a lot of, of development that was going on there, something that I would never regret going. I always enjoy the system that they had going on there. Um, but as I said, no, I play for the Pickwick Club. So there's a big rivalry between Pitwick and Wanderers. So I'm always in the middle, but whoever I'm playing for, obviously I'm going to put my best foot forward for them. But there's always love both sides. When you got your um, your scholarship, um, now I'd like to think that most fans listen to this know you got a scholarship, but it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people actually don't know. Even though it was spoken about and it was covered, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people were like, what, you got a scholarship to play in England? But Santoki and I and myself obviously both know you did and we, we know a lot of the history behind that. But can you just explain to, to the listeners, to the viewers, whatever medium they're, they're listening or watching on, um, how did the scholarship actually come about? Uh, well, I don't really want to call any names to to get people in trouble. But uh, what I can say, though, is um, Alan Wells, who was, the, who was the director there at that point in time, uh, he came to the Caribbean. I was doing some scouting. Now, initially, I wanted to go, you know, look at my options overseas just to see what was there. Mm. And Graham Walker, who was a very great person that I, I hold dearly to my heart, um, he, we were looking at options to go overseas. And I think we, we first looked at Brentwood which is in Essex. So mm. it just so happened that the same time I was looking for, for, for those um, options, Alan was around. So I think they were scouting for someone else. I just said, I don't want to call any names to get in trouble. <laughs> but it just so happened that everything was aligned at that pre present time. And as I said, like, it, just, it just happened. So basically it was, I was in the right place at the right time and then everything worked out from there. Were you were you wicket keeping while in Barbados, or was that something that you developed while you when you came over to England? No, it was always wicket keeping, but I was doing everything in cricket. I say when I was growing up, remember we we have a, a Herman Griffith tournament, which is the primary school tournament. I would literally bowl my five overs and then go and wicket keep afterwards because it was twenty five overs a game. So I did I did everything basically growing up. Um, the real reason why I say I got into keeping. <laughs> It was because um, in the under 13 trials, our national team, they usually section each player, well, the types of players, you know, in the corners. So the batsman would go over there, 
the bowlers will go over there, and then the keepers will go over there. So I saw a bunch of um, bowlers over there, a bunch of batters over there, and I only saw two wicket keepers. I was like, well, maybe it must be a lot easier to make the team as a wicket keeper over there. So <laughs> I decided, let me just let me just take it upon myself to to try it and see what's going on. But it was always it was always a big fun that we could keep, and I always loved the you know being in the game all the time because that's one part in the field where you have to be switched on regardless. And as I say it was just like an executive decision I made when it was when it was eleven years old. So yeah. Are you and this kind of jumps the gun a bit, um, so I don't want to go too in depth into it. And I want to come back to it later. But it's interesting that you say that, as far as you're concerned, you were wicket keeping from young. Because as West Indian fans, we associate you with wicket keeping specifically. Obviously, you wicket keeping twenty over cricket. You're wicket keeping right now for um, uh, Barbados in uh, CPL. But you wicket keeping the ODI side. But in terms of white ball cricket, because even for Barbados, in terms of first class cricket, if you're available to play it, obviously Shane Dowrich is there. So how how much white ball wicket keeping would you have done? And when would that have kind of when would you have transitioned out of doing that? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I I wouldn't say that is a big difference. Obviously, the white, the red ball would do a bit more in terms mm. of movement, but. At the end of the day, it's a simple basic supply. You have to watch the ball into your hands. So it's almost just doing what you know, regardless of the format, regardless of what you're playing, when you're playing. So I don't think it's a big, a big difference. No. Okay. Um, so we, 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 we digress slightly. And obviously, like I say, you were talking about Alan Wells and then you came over. What did you notice as the biggest difference when you got over to the UK and obviously, you go through what two years um, in uh, with your scholarship. What was the biggest difference you noticed from playing in Barbados to playing in the UK? Or was it? Did you did you think this is all just much much of a much? This is all relatively the same. Well, there's a few things. Obviously, <laughs> the cold. I've never experienced cold to be like that. Um, and I went. Would have been the beginning of September. Well, I think I, I went to the end of August to get myself prepared for the term. But even then, it was a bit chilly, something that I've never really been accustomed to. Um, and then the system, system they have there, the, the school, the facilities are amazing. Like something that you would never really experience in Barbados, let alone the Caribbean, some places. Mm. So just being able to access certain things, um, you have indoor facilities you can literally practice whenever you want um on you have the the dorm houses on the actual property so it's like you wake up you go to school you can mesh the school with your cricket training so everything was it was a big eye-opener for me and definitely a, a very good um, experience but yeah just the main thing is the cold but then just the way how the system was set up there for you to really excel in the classroom and also on the cricket field mm. Santoki, sorry. Was there, so after your schooling, was there ever a temptation to sort of try and play for a county, try and get in the club set up top here, or was it always the kind of thing to go back to the West Indies? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a tricky one. <laughs> but yes, I, I did I did have the thoughts, I'm not going to lie, because um, I was always thinking about the system over you know, I mean, in the UK, the county system I'm talking about, and I guess I, I got a taste of it at school because mm. the facilities that I spoke about before, 
and the way how things were. Um, but my heart was always with, with West Indies cricket, that's the thing. So I did apply for some universities. I was accepted, but I made a decision to come back home and play in the regional um, on the 19 tournament, which would have been played in the, in the summertime. So I guess it worked out for the best, mm. seeing where I'm at, where I'm at present. So um, definitely don't regret it. But as I said, it's, it's a thought that definitely went through my mind to stay and pursue um, university and then maybe some county cricket afterwards. Mm. You're going, Mesh. I was, I was going to jump the gun, you know, Santoki. Um, uh, I'm trying to work out. So <laughs> let me jump the gun. <laughs> so, so, so Shay, that's that's all good and well. You telling us, well, you thought about it. That was then. I am mm-hmm. surprised that you have not played county cricket at any point in time since. Well, at all, you just haven't. And yeah. that was and Santoki. I think that was like one of the that was one of the questions we got about mm-hmm. one million times. When is Shay going to play county cricket? When is he going to play county cricket? Has he not thought about playing county cricket? Even you and I have spoken about whether he's going to play county cricket or not. <laughs> so Shay forget when you were young surely this has been something that you must want to tick off and do at some point in your career yeah of course definitely at the top of the list Um, but the biggest thing would be the time and the schedule Mm -hmm. for West Indies cricket we have we usually tend to have a lot of tours when we have the county season going on and most teams don't necessarily sign for a short period of time. They normally want someone who can stay for an extended period in the season. So maybe that's why it didn't really work out. But I was always willing to play, always interested to play in the county setup. And even some in Australia as well. I always mm. I always wanted to play cricket around the world and not just in the Caribbean. So it's definitely at the top of the list. Though. Anyone who is listening to this who is an agent, come on now. <laughs> come on, we've, we've, we've literally just opened up the door for you. Come on, come on, get cracking. So I'm talking... Yeah, so you finish your school and you come back um, to regional cricket. You said you played the under-19s. I think you were 19 when you made your regional debut for the Barbados senior team. Um, how difficult did you find to step up to that side? Well, having been a... I was around the, the senior setup for a little mm-hmm. while. Um, normally, you just tend to transition into... Well, it's just practice sessions, but... So I knew a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys were very welcoming, they were open to, to listen to the younger guys. So that part of the transition wasn't difficult. Um, again, it was about understanding how the cricket is being played, regardless of what level you're playing, like the basics still apply. Um, so they, they kind of highlighted it. I'm talking about the senior guys in the team, they basically highlighted that don't stray away from what you know. Yes, it's a different level. They might have less bar balls. Things may be a bit more intense. But nevertheless, it's still cricket. So you don't have to overthink it too much. But again, the, the step it wasn't too much of a challenge, especially regional I'm talking about yeah. when I first came into the team because, again, the the um, local cricket that we play, we play against most of those guys anyway. So mm. I've had a taste of what it's like to be at the next level. So they just kind of made the transition a lot easier. Who were the sort of the key senior players or players who kind of helped you during that period? I know Kirk Edwards was your captain when you first came in. Was there anyone specifically who kind of helped you out then? Uh, you just called him. Uh, he was he was and still is one of the biggest mentors that I have. Um, and then you, you can never forget my brother. I mean, he basically did all the hard yards for me to just follow 
in his footsteps. So those were the two guys that I really looked up to. And the first time I came into the team, Jason Holder was actually my roommate because we played a, a Trination series in Trinidad. So those three guys were the ones who really, you know, made me feel comfortable and got me into the swing of things and understood how the cricket really works at that level. So we fast forward now, two years later, you're making your debut for West Indies cricket. Um, I think it, you'd scored, you put a big score against the Windward Islands, then not long after they called you up for your debut at Bridgetown. Was that a surprise to you? Was it something you felt you were prepared for, making that jump up to international cricket? Honestly, I thought it was a, was a quick call-up. Um, it was a bit of a surprise because that same season I scored my first first-class 50, first-class 100, and my first first-class double century. Same, literally the same season. So as I said, it was new, very new to cricket, very new to that level. And then being called up. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited. I always wanted to play for West Indies, but it was a bit of a surprise. Um, looking back, obviously, it wasn't as ready as I thought it would have been. That's all part of it, you know, just just trying to gain experience as you go along. You talked about you talked about the transition to regional cricket not being so tough because of the club cricket and you used to be in around those players. How did you find the step up then between regional and international? Uh, pretty similar in a mm. sense, because like I said, cricket it doesn't really change too much in terms of what the basics are. No, what I noticed was that the consistency with the bowlers was, you can definitely tell the gap um, between that and regional cricket. Uh, the intensity, the way how, you know, just they go about the game, the preparation, um, the meetings, the in-depth analysis and everything. So it was just a bit of a, a eye-opener for me. And you can definitely see the change and the difference from the first class to international. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we go to Mash, um, just one more thing about so your debut at Bridgetown 2015. When we spoke to Darren Bravo, he said a problem with the West Indies side in the past few years is the lack of experienced players in their 30s and mid 30s. It's a young team, it has been for the past few years. Obviously, when you played your first test, it was the last ever appearance of Shivnarayan Chandapur. And you also had Marlon Samuels and Dennis Ramden in the side. Did any of those veteran players sort of help you out specifically when you made your debut? Yeah, well, they all were welcoming. Um, again, I, I only played one one game with Shiv, but you know, I, I would have loved to play a couple more. Um, he he kind of highlighted the, the little things that he would need to focus on at this level. Uh, he he was the main one who said not to to focus on what you don't know, as in literally just bring what you've learned from over the years into here. Um, trust your skills, trust why you're here, because you've been picked for a reason. So that's basically what he was trying to, to get into my ears. Now, this is interesting to me, and this is the one question I've always wanted to ask if I ever spoke to you, um, Shay, was, and Santoki's alluded to it. So obviously you, you made your debut and you've said that it was a bit of a surprise that you got it so quickly, but obviously you got a day before West Indies. You're not going to turn that down. But when you debuted, you debuted as an opener. And I always found that odd. Um, like, I, I missed, uh, I'm not even going to lie to you, I missed the fact that you had um, debuted versus England because I started paying attention to you properly in the West Indies team after that when it was Australia and then Sri Lanka. And I'd spoken to a few people and I was like, how comes, how comes, um, Shay 
playing as an opener. Um, now, obviously, our last test series, um, not versus Pakistan, but South Africa, you were back in the side briefly. Obviously, there was a bit um, concussions and this that, and the other, but you were back in the side primarily as an opener again. But in between all that, you were back in three. When you're playing for Barbados, you're not playing as an old, you're not playing as an opener. So I just wanna, I want your take on it. Now I know you're gonna say you'll play wherever you're 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 picked to play. I get that, but in an ideal world, where would you play in a red ball team if you could pick your position? Plain and simple, number four. As I if I'm it. not wiki keeping. Mm-hmm. So if I'm wiki keeping, then obviously I'll bat a bit lower, maybe five six, mm. but. Ideally, as you say, in an ideal world, I would say number four. So when you debuted as an opener, <laughs> did you did you not find that odd? <laughs> like I said, <laughs> you you were the one who said if if you're picked to buy anywhere that you play, like you're playing mm-hmm. for West Indies, so yeah. it's just an opportunity. Um, yes, it was a bit surprising. Uh, I wasn't expecting it um, initially. So to do it against two of the best opening bowlers in world cricket mm. would have been a bit of a shock to me, but it was something that opened up my eyes. It was like, yeah, I'm ready for the challenge. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it was different. I wasn't expecting it, but as you said, in the ideal world, I'd probably go a two down. Right. Interesting. So you obviously, like you say, you, you, you debuted and then it took a while. Um, with all due respect, it took a while for it to click for you. Um, at um, and we're talking red ball cricket. We'll get to white ball. Well, what we'll be talking all day about white ball, but uh, it took a, it took a, it took a while to click for you in red ball cricket. And the thing is, what what Santo what Santo and I always joke about is on this side of the Atlantic, certainly in the UK, nobody is ever going to stop talking about your 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 two centuries at Headingley. Like people are still talking about that. What is it now? For four years later, but I always I always laugh about it because I actually think a more important innings for you was the ninety against Pakistan at home. Um, when you when you hit that ninety, did was that the moment you felt I've cracked it, or did it come earlier for you, or was it only when you got those those two centuries at Headingley? When was the moment you thought, mm, "I'm here now. I I I, I know my game." I actually agree with you with the Pakistan game. Um, that's the one that I really felt like, yes, this is this is kind of the strategy I need to go forward with to be successful at this level. Um, obviously, it was a home test match as well. So playing in front of my family and, and friends, it meant even more. So mm. it was like, a, yes, this is it moment. Um, and then going on from there, the next series would have been against England. Mm. So from there, things just started to click a bit more. And yeah. That was it. But I think initially it would have been that Pakistan series, that same, that same innings. I'm I'm almost loath to talk about the England, uh the, the the two centuries, but we have to because how can we how can we not? Um so I'm gonna just try and approach it just differently from how you've probably been. You've been asked so many questions about it in the past. But um the second century, forget the first one, okay. So you you make your one four seven. Now the 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 chase when you made the one one eight on beaten one one eight at that point at what point in that innings was it before and I guess what I'm getting at is was it before you even came out to bat were you already thinking 
I'm not getting out today. Like I'm always intrigued with cricketers at what at what point in a key innings where they're like, it doesn't matter what you do. I, I'm I'm like I'm on fire today. No one's getting me out. Well, did you have that with that with that second one of the the second one of the centuries? Funny enough, I would say after the very first ball of his. No, okay. I always have. You know, I think any professional athlete would have this mindset. Whenever you go to perform, you expect to do your best and you expect to be the best that you can be. Mm. But in that particular moment, I was like, I have to stay here for the end. We have to win this test match. Regardless of what's happening, we have to win this game. And I just felt like everything was just clicking at that point in time. Um, the ball was coming off the bat nicely. Things were flowing. Craig was getting the momentum, give, uh, relieving some, some stress off of me as well. So mm. everything just happened in that present moment. And as I said, it just clicked that day. And after that first ball I faced, so that yeah, we have to do this one. We have to win this game, especially after the previous game we were hammered. So there's no other way. And obviously history was written. You you did what you did. By the end of the year, you were I think you were named one of the wisdom critters of the year. Everything came. Everything <laughs> came that everything came that year for you. And um when Santoki and I were talking about uh, this this kind of like podcast episode and interview beforehand. One thing that Santoki said was, um, "How much pressure did you feel after that?" Now, you again, you may well say, "No, it was it was fine." But when you do something like that, and I guess Carl Mayers would be an example. When you do, with, with, with his two hundred in um, Bangladesh, when you do something as a West Indian cricketer. It's not just noticed in the Caribbean. It's not just around the whole world because of how iconic West Indies cricket is. Did you feel any pressure to have to... Pre did you feel like, I am now the guy that everyone's going to be looking at to, to make runs no matter what? You would feel some pressure. I'm not going to lie. Um, but the thing about it is that when you step onto the field, you don't want to be studying those things. You just study your process. I study my game plan, whatever I need to do on that particular day. But it's more so, I guess you can feel the pressure a lot more when you're just in your own time, whether you're back in a hotel room, just relaxing. You say, okay, a lot of thoughts cross your mind. A lot of things happen, you know, things that you can't necessarily control as well. But when you cross the line, I don't really be studying those things. That's the truth. But one thing I've noticed is that you are a victim of your own success. Mm -hmm. So the more runs that you score, the more people expect you to score and emulate that every single every single time you go to bat. So that in itself is a bit of pressure, not going to lie. But like I said, whenever I cross the, the line, I'm always backing myself to perform. So I don't really study what happened in the past or what needs to happen in the future. Mm. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna digress a bit. So obviously at this point after Headingley, particularly in England, because you'd scored you scored it here, people would have sort of boxed you in as a as a classic test player who was gonna revive West Indies in Test cricket um single-handedly. But at the same time, you were making inroads in ODI cricket. I think 2018 would have been a year for you, a specific year when you hit 123 not out against India, for instance, in that tied game. Um and you were excelling in, in white ball cricket. Did you purposely, did you make any changes to your technique at that point um, in terms of being successful in white ball cricket? Honestly, none, none that I would say. If, if I, I know over years, the technique would change. Things would start to come into your game that you didn't have before. But 
I wouldn't say something specific that I tried to change. Um, it's more of a mindset that I was trying to enhance. So things like um, trying to limit dot balls, trying to find boundary options, those types of things that I would try to, to get into my game a lot more because my, my role was obviously to keep the innings together, keep keep um, wickets in hand and obviously give us a launching pad at the back end. But I'm just trying, I was always trying to find ways to, to improve that is less dot balls, more boundary options, whatever the case may be. So I wouldn't say there's anything technical in particular, but probably more of a mindset and process. What's interesting is a lot of your big scores have come against Bangladesh. I think you've got two centuries. You hit another century against India in Chennai. You hit one against Afghanistan. Is there anything specific about Asian subcontinental conditions which sort of suit your game? Because a lot of batsmen obviously struggle there, but you seem to thrive. Well, I honestly think that the, the pitches are lovely. Um, the outfields are very fast. You know, I, I like to stroke the ball. I'm a time of the cricket ball. So if I can just put my bat on it, get into the gap and get four, then I'm living. Uh, whereas some parts of the world, especially Caribbean, <laughs> you have to hit the ball twice as hard to get a boundary or even two sometimes. So as I said, the pitches that we played on in Asia has been very good for batting. Um, so I guess I, I utilized it. And But the main things for me would have been the outfields because the bowling would, would always be good. It's international cricket. The bowling will always be decent. So it's just about capitalizing on those good pitches and the fast outfields whenever you get them. This is quite interesting to, to me, um, Shay, and I'm, I'm going to admit something to you now. <laughs> <laughs> when you... Um, when you when you got into the ODI side and you started doing well, um, <laughs> Shay, I'm, I'm going to admit to you, I was cussing, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but let me let me let me explain why I was cussing, because initially in in your ODI career, your strike I thought your strike rate was too low. In initially, I want to I want to point out that I said initially, because <laughs> um, I fully accept that your role in the side right now, you are the as far as we're concerned, you are the goal to player in our in our ODI side. But initially, when you got in, did you ever feel like okay, I'm taken to this white ball game? I like I know my game. I'm pretty much can be trusted to get a score. But were you ever hearing noise about? Yeah, but Shay needs to bat a higher strike rate because this is ODI cricket and so on and so forth. Did you ever get anybody saying that? Anybody? Me? Everybody. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so, so basically that was coming from all angles, left, right, centre, everywhere. Um, but the biggest thing was, uh, like I told you, the role, that was my role. Mm. So therefore, as long as the people in the dressing room uh, the selectors, the coach, captain, the players in the team understood what I'm doing. It doesn't really matter what people on the outside think because they don't necessarily know the game plan. Mm. So it's not mm. it's not up to them to tell me how to play or tell us how to play. Yeah, um, It's about trying to find that team formula to win a game. And we just try that formula to see if it can click, see if things can happen. But like I told you, it's about trying to find ways to increase that. So it's not that I'm just trying to keep the innings together. I'm trying to keep the innings together, but still keep it at a decent tempo. Why not? Well, maximizing every delivery that I get instead of just batting for, for a period of time. But it's, So I would say it's in, the reason I said initially is because I would say it's interesting because I've noticed um, within the last, let's just, let's just pick two years, but it's probably longer, that you're still playing a very similar role, but 
your strike rate has massively, or I think it's massively increased from the early days. Now, would what would you say is the, well, you might say it's, it, you haven't noticed it, but what would you say would be the reasoning uh, behind that then? Is it that you're just more comfortable in your game or is it the game plan now or, or whatever it might be? Because it is now not uncommon to watch you play for the ODI side. And I'm expecting no matter what innings you're playing, you're going at, depending on what the pitch is saying, because it, it does actually depend on the track. But generally yeah. speaking now, you're going at, what, high 80s, low 90s, sometimes run a ball, whatever it might be. Obviously, it helps that you've got Evan at the other end if, he, if he's playing and so on and so forth. But is this something that you've just developed as your game has gone on? Um, it was a conscious effort. Mm. Um, like I said, we have discussions in amongst the team to find out what's the best way forward for the team to excel. And we were always trying to find ways to, to mesh, as I said, my role with a bit more aggression, if you want to call it that. Mm. Um, so over a period of time, it was just about taking a bit more risk, but obviously calculated risk. So therefore, we'd make sure that you take it from practice into the game. So it's not a case where they're just telling me to get my straight rate up. Mm-hmm. Straight rate up doesn't mean hitting fours and sixes. It just means, as I said, hitting the ball into gaps, more or less dot balls. Mm. So over that period of time, it was just about transitioning from maybe more dot balls into ones, twos, the odd boundary, mm. finding a boundary option, having those things in your mind to know, okay, when a ball is on, let me see if I can take him down this over, put him under pressure, captain may have to change him, bring back one of the main bowlers, have a less um, uh, a part-timer coming in at the death. Like those things just have to play a part when it comes to um, building an inning. So it was a period of time when I just said, okay, making a conscious effort to increase it, increase the straight rate, and finding ways to score, finding ways to get singles, tools, boundaries. Hmm. And this this leads me on, actually, it's a question from Sean Yearwood on um, Twitter. He said, is there a big difference in how you approach batting if you've already kept 50 overs in the first innings? Honestly, no. My mindset will still remain the same. And I think that's why we train so hard on a daily basis to make sure whatever we need to do, that we can do it at the best of our ability. Uh, Obviously, you will be more fatigued because as a batsman, I I always love to bat first because that's when I'm I'm going to be most fresh. Uh, But my game style, because, you know, I love to run between the wickets. I love my quick singles. I love to push hard into the field. So regardless if I keep 50 overs or not, I'm still going to do the same thing. Because I'm trying to get as many runs as possible. So just get the ice baths ready, get the massage tablets ready, get a good food ready and get some sleep early. That's all. So just have to make sure my recovery is good because I'm going to be pushing 110% whenever I want to feel. Do you know what, Santoki? Before you ask Shay the next <laughs> question, it's actually crazy, you know, because <laughs> Shay averages over 50 in OGI cricket, right? <laughs> and we just take it for granted. <laughs> no, no one's, no one's like we've got a West Indian batsman who averages averages over fifty. Former average, just like yeah, he averages over fifty. <laughs> well done, Shay. I just want to just say that. Thanks, man. Appreciate that, man. <laughs> It must, so be, it must be it must be the Morby, man. He's drinking Morby before the game. Season <laughs> <laughs> Dandy Morby. <laughs> 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 
So, so my, my final question on sort of ODIs is, what's it like um, with Pollard as captain? Because obviously he's respected as one of the great captains in world cricket. How has he sort of helped your game and what benefits have you seen him bring since he's taken over as captain? Um, well, I think both him and Jason, they have a lot of knowledge when it comes to the game of cricket. And just his way of doing things, he's very instinctive. So a lot of things that happen, you're like, what's going on? But then you see it happen and it's like, whoa, you never really think about it. So it's just the way how he, he controls the game, the way how he controls the players, his voice in the dress room, the way how he motivates guys. Um, he definitely has a big part to play in our cricket. And I think that the way he's handled it so far, I think he transitioned for obviously when he goes, he's not he's not the youngest guy anymore. But obviously when he goes, I think what he's brought to the dress room now, would be easier for the guys coming in to understand that that culture, that lifestyle we have. Mm. Uh, you know what, Santos? It's an excellent question because that it just skipped my mind until you said that. Of course, um, Shea is vice captain of the ODI side. So, mm. in the same way how Puran is being readied to take over the the T Twenty side, I'm assuming Shea is our next is our next ODI <laughs> captain. So, so yes, uh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that answer. Totally forgot that you're vice captain. You know, um, but. Um, so, Shay, as obviously we we speak on your excellence in OGI cricket, but it would be remiss um, to, to not talk about the Red Bull game because everybody's going to be expecting us to talk about it. And um, after the uh, England series, um, 2020 England series, you didn't you didn't go to New Zealand um, and you were, um, well, dropped for want of a better word. Um and you have recently made a return back to the test squad um, for the South Africa series. Obviously, you were part of the 13 for the just-concluded series um, with Pakistan. Everyone answers the same questions around Red Bull with, with, with you, Shay. Everyone says this. They all say that everyone says the same thing. We can see what you're doing in LGI cricket. Everyone's waiting for it to click again in Red Bull cricket. But where do you stand? I think there's no point in me answering a specific question. Where do you stand on it because you're still young um and we certainly haven't written you off um in in the red ball game but it's interesting to just find out what are your views um on on the on the red ball game um and yeah where you're at at the moment um in an ideal world if it was up to me i would like a solid let's say three four five six first class games mm. and before that some cricket some specific stuff that I've, I've been trying to work on leading up to those first class games to then mm. get a feel for the first class cricket again to get a feel for how things are working and formulate my plans around it now obviously our, our schedule would not allow that because of the, the white ball stuff everything so there's no real time to focus on actual specific stuff that I would want to but again that's that's an ideal world we don't expect mm. that to happen no, I, as everyone saw, I can be successful in, in, in that format. Mm. And it's more so for me. It's not necessarily for, for, for other people and what they think. It's more so for me. I want to prove to myself mm. that I can do more. I can give more to West Indies cricket. I can give more fans something to cheer about when the day comes. So... As I said, I need to find a way to mesh what I need to try to work on 
with the limited time that we have, obviously, you know, with COVID and, and everything um, in the way. So that is going to be a challenge. It is a challenge. It has been a challenge for a while. But that's the, that, I think that's the next step that I need to take to formulate, formulate the best plan to, to make my game plan work in the um, test in arena. When, um, <clears throat> when you felt, no, so actually, no, 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 not when you felt. Let me, let me rephrase that question. When did you start to, or did you start to, at any point, did you doubt yourself in terms of the Red Bull game and be like, what, what's going on? Because I'm not, we're not elite athletes, elite athletes, if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, do I, I, um, did you get like a crisis of confidence at any point in time? Because to the to the natural eye, everybody can see you've got the game. Because even when you were going through the the dip in form, you were still hitting like nice twenties or nice thirties. Then you then you were nicking off or whatever it might be. And that was, I think, that was the bigger frustration for people. If it was just a series of underscore ten scores under ten, then it's fine because everyone's like, well, you're out of form, whatever. It's done, but you 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 were getting the twenties, you were getting the starts, and then getting out. So what 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 did you feel was going on for you and your game when when you were going through the down the down the downtrend, so to speak? I wish I honestly wish I had the answer to that question mm. because yes, I I have doubted myself. I'm not going to lie about that because it feels as though I've doing I've been doing every single thing. That I need to do to work and to be successful, and some of as we see, it's not really working out how I want it to. Mm. So, as you said, it's not to say I'm getting out for two, three, zero, one, five over a period of time. It's always a start or something that looks like it can be something, mm. and then I just get it out. And I think that's the biggest frustration for me because it's not to say I am completely struggling at the crease. And I don't have a clue where my next run is coming from. Um, it just gets to a point, and I don't even know how many 30s and 40s I've got, but I know that they're a lot. Um, so it's not a case of me. I don't think it's a case of me trying to get a start. It's just about trying to maintain it and go as deep as possible. Because, again, I'm, I'm hungry for batting. I'm hungry for runs. So it's not a case where I get tired of batting and just throw it away. Um, Say it's just one of those things. And cricket is a very unpredictable sport as well. So I kind of have to remind myself that no matter what you do, like anything can happen. You can get a ball that creeps. You can get a ball that just spits off the pitch and gets out. So it that's that's just the biggest frustration for me. Just getting those starts and then just getting out because it's like almost like finding every possible way to get out after mm. having a start. And like I said, I, I don't know the answer to it. I, I don't know what needs to be done at that particular point in time, but I'm just hoping that they'll find it soon if if I'm going to be selected anytime soon for us in the 11 I'm talking about. Well, this is... um. So one thing that we've always thought doesn't help, and you've kind of, I think I actually think you've alluded to it, but with the, you were referencing it more in terms of COVID. But when I've always said that, and this goes for you, uh, Roston, Shane Dowrich, all those players who kind of debuted after 2015, 16 onwards. I've all, and for you, it's doubly hard because you're in the you're in the white ball team in the ODI team. 
a lot of you haven't played first class cricket in ages. Um, and when I and when I say first class cricket, I I don't even care if it's regional cricket. I just mean something. A lot of a lot of you are going from series to series to series, and you don't get. And I, I always used to say this to like English fans who are like, oh, but what's going on for Shade? And I'd be like, when was the last time he played red red ball cricket just in an off season? Because the way, as you said, the way the West Indies calendar works, it doesn't even allow the international players to really. So if you look at like a Jermaine Blackwood, when when Jermaine got back into the side, one of the things that helped him was he got a, he got a full first class season to play, topped the run charts, found his game again, came back into the in, into the test team, went to England and New Zealand and played like someone who had benefited from having an entire season to just work on whatever he needed to work on. And I've always thought for you, and I, like I called Roston, for example, it would just help to be, I don't, I don't have the answers, by the way, but <laughs> so it, it would just help to be able to have some actual red, do you, do you get them coming from, Santoki? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so any any thoughts on that, Shay? Um, I completely agree. As I said, it's something that I would love, but you know, that's in the ideal world. No, I don't think I've played since 2017, mm. which was before that same Pakistan series that I scored in 90 and then followed up with the 200 in England. So I think that was the last time I literally played. And I think the last innings I played, I scored a double hundred as well against Guyana, if, if my yeah. memory served me correct. So, Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I just... <laughs> so it's like, what he's trying to say, you, you definitely need cricket. You definitely need games under your belt. And I don't think that these um, one or two best, the best games that we have before the tournament is enough. For me, especially, like I would want, as I said, like a proper solid four or five games for a class game just to, you know, feel myself. Mm. Um, and I, I think it would definitely benefit not just myself, but some of the other guys who, who haven't been playing red ball cricket as much as well. Santoki, I already called for the agents to get in touch. You know, I don't know what else, I don't know what else I, don't know what else I could do at this stage. <laughs> so, but Santoki, let's talk some CPL. Yeah, so we've we've talked about test cricket, ODI cricket, but you're you're an all format player, so you're currently CPL with the newly named Barbados Royals. How we talked about the adjustment between test cricket and ODI cricket. How do you find the adjustment moving towards T Twenty cricket? Have you had to make massive changes in trying to make inroads in into that format? Um, not really, to be honest. It's just when I do come back down to the twenty twenty um, format. I need to remind myself that I don't need to hit the ball as hard as I think. Mm. But the same game plan, game style, everything still applies because you can pick the gaps, you can hit the ball through the gaps, get the same boundaries as everyone else. And I can hit a six. It's not that I can't get a six hit. So just about making sure that my game plan is, is ready and whatever the situation requires, understand it and find a way to, to get the team over the line. It's interesting because... Um... Obviously, ODIs you open um, in. Obviously, by the time this comes out, hopefully in about two, three days, whatever it might be. So you probably would have played one extra game by the time this comes out. You've be you've batted. I think first drop at three. You opened in the last game as a T Twenty player. Where would you? Where's your ideal position for you as a T Twenty player? Um, 
either opening or three because it's well it depends on the makeup of the team. Mm-hmm. If we have some power hitters at the top, then let them go maximize the power play. But me myself, I love to to get PC the power play as well, you know, just to get myself going. Yeah. Um, but the earlier back, the better I think it is for me and then the team because then I get a rhythm and then I can accelerate at the end if I need to. But I wouldn't say I would prefer to be at the top three. Let me just put it that way. Mm. You've not, um, again, it's probably West Indies duty because you're an all-format player. But actually, I'm trying to think, have I? I don't think I've ever seen you in another T20 league anywhere. You've only ever played CPL, right? Yeah. I don't you know what I don't even want to ask if that's even something that's ever crossed your mind <laughs> because all the people who want you in test cricket are going to say what's your problem so I'm, I'm going to leave that question alone I'm not even not even going to go there <laughs> so, so talking back to you yeah no so I was just going to say no I wish I wish you all the best for this uh, upcoming CPL season until you play a guy in Amazon Warriors and then <laughs> I'm hoping you don't do any more stompings, but um, Mash, I think it's time for the big question. Indeed, it is. Every guest we ever get on, um, Shay, we ask them the same questions, um, all the time, no matter who they are. Um, so it's your turn. Question number one: You're not allowed to say Kensington Oval. What is your favourite ground to play at in the Caribbean, other than your home ground? Oh, let's see. But that's the thing. You 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 already you already make it difficult by not choosing Kensington. Um probably Antigua. I'd say Why? Antigua. Why Antigua? Just, just maybe because the atmosphere that I've had there, because normally we play England and oh. they bring a very big vibe, a lot of people around. And I like to play in front of a lot of people. I just love to, to hear the noise and just seeing people enjoying themselves. So probably Antigua. In terms of in terms of CPL, what have you found? What ground has had the best atmosphere for CPL specifically? Have you found Kensington one and Trinidad? I find Queens Park Oval has <laughs> a lot of people. Hmm. A lot of people. Let me ask you that question. Night. He expected you to say Providence, you know, but good no, answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I haven't really played too many games at Providence and CPL though, but um, Trinidad is definitely at the top of the list because of the atmosphere that they have there. In terms of grounds outside of the Caribbean, what's been your favourite venue to play cricket? You, you, you've you're well travelled. I feel like you've played almost in every single Test associate country you could have played in. But um, what's your favourite ground that you've played in outside of the Caribbean? Hmm. Uh, funny enough, Bristol, you know, oh. Bristol is one, yeah, Bristol is one of my favorite grounds. The pitch is great for batting. Um, and I think I, I did pretty well at Bristol a few times. Uh, I did, did score some runs in a warm up game against New Zealand in the mm. World Cup, but for some reason, just I just love batting there. First time I've heard Bristol as a as a, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the final the final question, um, who and it could be in any format um, of the game, who has been the bowler you have found toughest 
to face in your career. Th- this could be a home bowler. It could be someone who plays for another side, etc. Who has been um, the bowler you've found toughest to face? Probably Jasper Brummer. Yeah. Um, yeah, he his action alone is pretty difficult. And then his ability to move the ball both ways at will. So he was probably one of the toughest I've faced in my career so far. Excellent. And actually, do you know what, Santoki? I said that was the final question, but not every not every player or person that we've got on thus far has as many centuries mm. as Shea has gotten, actually. Um, so it feels it feels remiss to not at least ask Shea what his favourite innings has been, yeah. whether test. I mean, you've got the two at Headingley, but you've got so many ODI centuries as well that it may well be one of your old... It could even be a domestic knot. So, actually, I'm intrigued, Shay, because everybody's going to expect you to say, well, of course, it's the two heading these entries. What else could it be? <laughs> <laughs> but out of interest, just, just to see, um, whatever the format, what has been for you your best knock? Um, my first century against Bangladesh in Bangladesh. That was his second test match. I think I scored 146. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Um, that, that in that innings in particular, I was struggling at the beginning. I was struggling to get the ball off. I'm struggling to find the singles, find the gaps. And we were already done one nil in the series. Mm. And again, it was another one of those. You just have to find a way. No matter what happens, you have to find a way to win this game. Because mm. we were also chasing. And Another highlight of that innings was uh, when Kimo Paul came out to bat with me. Uh, we needed probably about 30, 40 runs to win still. Mm. And he was getting a bit frustrated uh, when he was batting because he wasn't getting the ball off him as, as well as he, he normally would. Yeah. So I just I just love the way how, and I'm not really trying to toot my own horn, but the way how I, I helped him along the innings mm. and the way how he responded. Because then afterwards, I could see start to be a bit more calm and was like, okay, we're going to get this done. Not mm. try to be too frustrated with the situation. Because I don't know that, that this was going to happen, but I think I took uh, Mustafa um, the fizz yeah, yeah. for 20 or something like that in an over. But before that, when I talked to Kimo in the mid-pitch, I told him, don't worry about it, man. I'm going to deal with this over. We're going to get 20 off this over. I think it's going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just trying to give him. I'm just. I was just trying to give him all the confidence that I could give him, you know, just to make him feel good at the crease. So, okay, we're gonna win this game. Yeah. And I had no idea it was gonna take twenty something from him, but it just happened. Like they say, you know, when you, you speak things into existence. Yeah. So I guess that will happen at that particular moment. But those were the two big highlights of the innings because at the beginning I started. I was struggling to start, and then I hit a six over um, extra cover, and it basically got me going. And then I basically had to, to keep the innings together because we lost a few wickets in the middle. And then the back end was the key more. That, that, that's one that I really remember from, from that innings. And then we got over the link. I think that, I think that inning sort of sums up Shea's importance to the OEI side match because I think the team total was like 256 and Shea hit 146. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember that, I remember that series so, so well. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> it, I felt like it, that was a series where like almost every game was some kind of epic game. Um, yeah. and I think it was, and it was India back to back in that series as well. I think we're Bangladesh and India, or India then Bangladesh, and, yeah. and, and I felt India like every, every single game 
of that entire stretch was some kind of epic game. <laughs> that was a that was a must watch. So um, so yeah, Shay, you know that that kind of brings uh, things to an end. Um, I know obviously this is this is your off day from proceedings at the moment in CPL, so we do want you to actually go and relax um, ahead of uh, the upcoming games. But I just wanted to say thank you um, for coming on the podcast. It's been it's been much appreciated. Um, I appreciate your 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 honesty as well with regards. You didn't duck any of the questions um, <laughs> what, whatsoever. Um, and um, as much as you said, if I am selected, we are we are expecting to see you in the uh, Sri Lanka series <laughs> in, the, in the Red Bull game. So we aren't the selectors, but Santoki and I are expecting to see you in the eleven come Sri Lanka. So all the best, all the best for that best series um, when that comes up um, after the World Cup. But Santoki, any last words? Yeah, no, agree. Absolute pleasure, Shay. Thank you for taking some time out, and obviously being so honest with your answers and genuinely me and Mash hope to see you very soon in, in the test arena where we're sure, we're sure that you'll fire again. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Enjoyed it with you guys. Brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been episode 49 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs>